From the campuses of East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee, and Emory and Henry College in Emory, Virginia, this is Religion for Life. My name is John Shuck. I'm the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. Our website is fpcelizabethton.org. Religion for Life explores the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. What is religion? That word is getting fuzzier and blurrier as I explore it, and we're going to make it even fuzzier today because we're going to look at religious phenomena that you never even thought of as religious before, like sports or celebrities or um, the living dead. We are becoming more and more religious, not necessarily less religious, but more religious in a very different and diverse way. My guest is Gary Lauderman. Gary Lauderman is the chair of the Religion Department and Professor of American Religious History and Cultures at Emory University. He's the author of a 2009 book, Sacred Matters, Celebrity Worship, Sexual Ecstasies, The Living Dead, and Other Signs of Religious Life in the United States, as well as two books on death in the United States, uh, The Sacred Remains, American Attitudes Toward Death, 1799 to 1883, and Rest in Peace, A Cultural History of Death and the Funeral Home in 20th Century America. Over the last decade, Dr. Lauterman has been interviewed in national media on topics ranging from death and funerals to horror films and televangelists. He is a founder of the online religious magazine, Religion Dispatches. He's hosted numerous conferences at Emory University on topics related to religious diversity, suffering and healing, and science and religion. Dr. Lauterman caught my attention uh, with an essay in the Huffington Post in March of 2013 entitled, The Rise of Religious Nuns Indicates the End of Religion as We Know It. And uh, that's spelled nuns, N-O-N-E-S. And as I'm doing a series on the future of religion, I was intrigued by his viewpoint, so I found his website and picked up his book, uh, Sacred Matters, Celebrity Worship, Sexual Ecstasies, The Living Dead, and Other Signs of Religious Life in the United States. And so we're going to talk about uh, religious nuns, uh, popular culture, and religion. And uh, welcome, Dr. Lauterman, to Religion for Life. Oh, well, it's great to be here. I appreciate the invitation. Uh, in regards to your Huffington Post article, religious nuns are those who check off the box marked none when asked about their religion on polls. And because uh, it seems that more and more people are checking the nun box when it comes to religion, it signifies a change. Well, what is this change? Yeah, it, and it's a pretty striking change uh, because the number of people who are deciding to uh, identify as a nun um, it has increased dramatically over the past few decades, and there are, people have different theories about it. But um, I'm, it's, I'm sure it's very complex, and um, at least at one level, it doesn't mean that that is really uh, detailing uh, a rise in atheists. Uh, I think what it really is speaking to is the growing number of, uh, number of people who want to primarily identify as spiritual rather than religious, to use that cliche. And what does that mean, spiritual but not religious? I, it can mean anything. That, okay. I think part of what I'm writing about. People uh, are claiming to be spiritual over relig you know, religious um, across the spectrum. So that for some people it means staying within the church, but emphasizing your spiritual and maybe more personal relationship with God to people who are not in any particular church, 
and who um, you know want to commune with nature or who participate in other kinds of metaphysical traditions. So it's a broad spectrum. Well, Daniel Dennett was on this program, and he said that with his definition of religion, a supernatural agent uh, is required. It isn't religion unless some supernatural agent or perceived supernatural agent is involved. But your definition of religion, as I'm as I'm reading you, is is larger than that. Uh, people can be religious and are religious with uh, without belief in God or in gods. Uh, can you give me a, a, a definition of religion or religious practice? Sure, and I've heard I've heard that before. Um, there's certainly, I think, uh, a tendency among more scientific minds to have a real clear operational definition. And for them, the difference that is most important uh, for religious phenomena is this belief in uh, some kind of supreme being or higher power. For me, I just want to, uh, you know, I want to say that religion and religious life. Um, can be about much more than just whether or not you believe in um, higher power or uh, some kind of personal God. Uh, I think people are religious um, in all kinds of ways. And so the, 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 the core, the emphasis in my definition is on the sacred. So, you know, where we find the sacred, we will find forms of religious activity. And you talk about that, for example, in your book, a place that uh, I have visited, uh, Cooperstown, New York, and the Baseball Hall of Fame, and how that has uh, and some like seats from old fields that have been taken away, or, or uh, and it almost has a, a sacred um, sense to it, a, a hallowed ground where the the uh, the figures of old uh, um, you know are uh, memorialized. Exactly, and I mean that's that's one example, and and so. You know, right off the bat, people excuse excuse that phrase. <laughs> right off the bat, um, but people are going to, uh, you know, have some some um, difficulties with my definition because um, I really do want to move away from Are you a Jew? Are you a Buddhist? Are you a Hindu? Hindu um, to questions about you know, what is most sacred to you? What um, are the things that really are transformative or, or kind of um, uh, bring you to some kind of feeling of, of transcendence or, or something that's awe-inspiring. And so these aren't fixed necessarily in particular congregations or communities, but they can be um, related to uh, memories of, of great baseball games or visiting the, the Baseball Hall of Fame with your family and um, feeling you know, some kind of real powerful sense of connection uh, with the game that defines who you are and also ties you into a community. You know, I remember that uh, movie. As I was reading your book, I recalled uh, the film Bull Durham, uh, a film that centers on the minor league baseball team. I don't think that uh, exists any longer, the Durham Bulls. And the character played by Susan Sarandon, uh, Annie, uh, says, I believe in the church of baseball. And then and she goes on to say that uh, she's tried the major religions, but uh, says, the Lord has laid too much guilt on me. I prefer metaphysics to theology. You see, there's no guilt in baseball, and it's never boring, which makes it like sex. I found that quote on the internet, but I remember the speech when I saw the film way back in the 80s, and I thought it was kind of odd, but now, especially in, uh, in light of your book and what I'm seeing around, too, uh, it, it perhaps is true. Sport is one of the ways that people are religious today. Uh, what is it about sport itself that uh, um, makes it religious or sacred? I would also just uh, quickly add, though, that, that you pointed to what I think is really uh, an important distinction, which is that, that what counts as sacred to me and, and does 
uphold this legitimacy as as uh, a center for religious activity is it's communal. You know, mm-hmm. to me, if it's just one person who worships, you know, um, a particular uh, video game, um, that doesn't really count. But if there are, if you really find evidence across cultures of a number of people who really have this kind of special attachment to a video game, um, uh, then then I want to take it more seriously. So there's a collective element to the sacred that I really want to emphasize, um, and that really that draws my attention. Uh, sports itself is one of those um, areas where there's a great deal of evidence of religious commitments and, and investments. And um, there are all kinds of examples. I remember the, recently a book that was written about religion, high school football in Texas as a religion. Um, these sporting events and sporting figures become larger than life, literally, and they produce saints and icons and heroes and they um, tell us about morality Um, they bring communities together they're very heavily based in ritual there's all kinds of mythology so you know you're getting this picture that you you really can draw out these religious characteristics by looking closely at how we uh, follow and invest our lives in sports If you're just joining us, this is Religion for Life. I'm John Shuck, and my guest is Gary Lauterman. He is the chair of the Religion Department and professor of American Religious History and Cultures at Emory University. And we're talking about popular religion. Uh, His book uh, in 2009 is called Sacred Matters, and we're talking about uh, the changes that are happening in religion in regards to uh, popular culture. And you mentioned in in your book um, a number of other signs of religious life. Uh, One of them is celebrity. uh, And uh, how... How is celebrity worship uh, religious? Uh, I I hate to say this, but I I just wrote another piece that's up on Huffington Post that's on um, Justin Bieber. Okay. The recent dust-up that happened when he went to visit the Anne Frank Museum in Amsterdam. Right. And without going into details on that one, um, just kind of really trying to... uh, identify and notice the ways in which someone like Justin Bieber, who whether or not you think he has any talent, has been swept up into this level of fame um, where people are, uh, well, they're believers, but they're the, it's not just fanaticism. I mean, people um, really uh, seem to think that when you reach this kind of level of celebrity, there is an aura about you. And that... Um, to me, has all kinds of relish, religious textures and connotations. It almost resonates back to uh, the, the Greek ideology of the Greek hero uh, way back uh, 2,000 years ago. I'm, I really believe if you look in different cultures, and maybe not every culture, but many cultures will, will have um, similar kinds of phenomena where you, certain individuals are, whether they're religious leaders or certain kinds of political leaders or military leaders, um, reach a level where they they almost they become mythologized and and part of that glorification of individuals uh, most you see it most explicitly in in the in the cult of saints in the history of christianity but you you know i want to say in america in the 20th century in the 21st century um celebrities are not like saints but you know in many cases not all of them but some uh become saints for people 
Yeah, you mentioned you write uh, about Oprah. Um, you know, a figure who overcomes, uh, you know, poverty and, and racism and sexism, becomes very wealthy and also dispenses all kinds of advice on uh, she ends up becoming a model of what it means to live a good life. Exactly. I mean, this is another uh, preeminent example. And, and I will say just um, maybe I'm in my own defense. I'm not the only one writing about this kind of stuff. Uh, there's a great book on Oprah by a colleague of mine named Ka- uh, Catherine Lofton. Um, and, uh, again, this is, this is great religious material to mine. I mean, they're, they're, you nailed it on the head by, by, um, referring to the ways in which it's not just people idolizing an individual, but the ways in which that individual as a celebrity has a certain kind of moral authority and, or, or becomes a model for behavior. And Oprah is much more intentional and explicit about, um, her powers. Now, some people might say that these forms of religion, uh, celebrity, film, music, sport, and so forth, are, uh, are fake religion or caricatures of religion or bad religion. Now, I, and I kind of wonder, now I'll have to say, uh, I make my business on religion. I went through the whole school, got the organization, got pension plans, and so I'm thinking my judgment on this might m- amount to little more than professional envy. Uh, well, <laughs> I think it's a difficult way to see things and, and certainly calls uh, so much of, you know, how we usually think about religion into question. Yeah, because I think, you know, we think about religion and churches and, and uh, we've made them tax exempt and uh, we think that they somehow do good for society. Uh, but uh, now the religious nuns are simply are perhaps starting to indicate that maybe maybe not so. I, I often wonder about what has the most influence in the socialization of, of children into adulthood? And historically, that was primarily religion. You know, religion was the primary source for, for that kind of socialization, morality, thinking about your identity, who you are, etc. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I mean, I ask you, you know, this is something that, that we need to consider. And I think... Um, looking at the ways in which popular culture or other kinds of institutions, maybe like science or medicine, also um, are, are playing such a major role in how children become adults and think about the world that they live in, um, that, they're, that, that I want to reverse what you said at the beginning and sort of say, what's religious about them, as opposed to, well, this is... A, purely a form of secularization or an example of religion losing its influence. I mean, the history of religion is really the history of religious modifications, um, changes. It's constantly in flux, historically. Yeah, so a religion often seems, uh, I think of, of Christianity, I'll just go there since it's the popular one, uh, often uh, in our country, often seems to center around uh, two things, God and, and, and life after death. And it seems that traditional religions in America, I don't know, might be losing credibility on both of these issues. Doctrines about God and heaven and hell uh, seem to be uh, less pressing for many people. Uh, do you think that's a reason for some of this rise? Um, well, yes, in general, absolutely. Um, but I also think even within Christianity, you're going to have a spectrum of views on God and life after death. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really it both is a larger kind of cultural change, but it, this is also changing the inner nuances and details of um, Christianity, of Judaism, you know, of Islam. Um, you know, part of, of what that seems to suggest is there is no such 
thing as a kind of unified Christian view on God or on life after death or on moral questions. And, and so it's, it, that to me also is very challenging and, and provocative and interesting to say, well, there really is no such thing as Christianity. Well, it, yeah, it changes. I mean, it, and you mentioned, I think, in, in your book that uh, they can go alongside each other. So you can have people who might go to church on Sunday morning and then consult uh, a medium or or, right. or or go, you know, or make their religion as going to the Bristol Speedway. Um, that there's really kind of a mix of a lot of things in which the traditional religion kind of tags along. And that and that's an excellent point, definitely, to keep in mind is is, is it's not necessarily the case. It's one or the other or this or that, but it's a mix. Things are blending in ways that, um, to me, you know, again, it's, it's not like part of my take on some of this is that we're all religious in some way. Now, they are obviously, I like, get in some trouble with, with atheists or, say, who, or people who just will not, uh, will not tolerate that kind of perspective, but part of what it means to be human is to be religious. And it used to be easier to, <laughs> to kind of say, well, what is religion? How do we compartmentalize it? Um, but on the kind of culture we are living in today, I think all of that is breaking down and people are religious in multiple ways and in ways that blend with more conventional or traditional forms and more modern and popular forms. Gary Lauterman is my guest on Religion for Life, the chair of the Religion Department uh, at uh, Emory University, author of Sacred Matters, Celebrity Worship, Sexual Ecstasies, The Living Dead, and Other Signs of Religious Life in the United States. Uh, one of the sections in your book is is science, and science has certainly changed our, our views of, of how the universe works, and, and perhaps as religion itself, and, and you even speak of, of science in itself, uh, uh, of science as religion. Uh, can you Can you talk more about that? This one too might piss some people off, but I, um, I, I, I'm not the only one who's recognizing that there are some ways in which science and the pursuit of, of science and scientific knowledge has religious dimensions or elements to it. Um, you know, and that 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 can vary. You know, whether you're talking about um, you know the rituals that are so important in scientific experiments, or you're talking about um, the kinds of questions that are being asked about the origins of human life and, you know, where the universe came from. It's, it's a very much at different levels. You can, you can see in some instances what I would argue are religious, are, are religious motivations and religious forms and religious efforts to, to make life meaningful. And even in the expressions of, uh, of 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 the beauty or awe or wonder of the universe, looking at uh, images from Hubble telescope can be a transcendent experience. I would say yes, definitely for some people, and that's the tricky part too. Is you know what I want to say is not that science is religious for everyone, but that in some cases, for some people, science can be have 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 a kind of religious have a religious. Um, sensibility to it. Now, on, on the other on the other hand, I want is there an ethical element in some of these popular forms of religion? Um, you know, you, you think that uh, what the, the traditional religions have, have at, at least supposedly uh, cared about social justice, civil rights, uh, you know, morality, goodness, care for earth. Uh, do you find some of these good things uh, in in popular religion as well? 
I, 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 w- I would say uh, they're both good and bad. I think it okay. depends on, uh, I suppose, on where you're standing. I'm, 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 there certainly um, is a much more uh, varied and um, wide-ranging set of ethics that could be found in popular culture. Um, things like the greatest good is the greatest fame. Or, you know, really the ultimate meaning of life is how much money you can make. I mean, these, these some people would say aren't religious or, or or problematic, but there is a way in which, again, they, they are really shaping and molding what our ultimate values are, what we really, um, on a practical kind of lived experience, are really, you know, all about how we live our lives. Um, on the other hand, there, there, there are certainly... Um, there's clear evidence of, of some of these uh, religious cultures of, of promoting what we would call, you know, altruistic and um, social justice oriented perspectives, whether we're talking about sort of green movement around uh, environmentalism or um, even thinking about maybe Hollywood films that are, are vehicles for certain kinds of um, uh, perspectives on right and wrong. And, you know, how we deal with evil in the world. Yeah, how we deal with evil. I I, uh, I wonder sometimes if, uh, if if war is sometimes America's civil religion. Uh, 9-11 as the, good, the new Good Friday. Um, uh, endless war on terror that gives us meaning. Uh, the U.S. Navy advertises itself as a global force for good. I, you can't find a more religious slogan than that, it seems to me. Uh, how does, and you have a chapter on violence, uh, how do violence and violent, uh, even video games, um, and our understanding of civil religion as uh, uh, play part of our religious landscape? Yeah, uh, there too. It's it's very much, um, uh, to me, clear evidence that, that violence in some instances, um, and in ways we may not like, can be religious or bring out religious sensibilities. Um, and religious practices uh, and and uh, religious values um, around the sacred. So I talk about the military as being um, one example of, of uh, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a separate community that has uh, very strong values and ethics and is tied to a different kind of uh, glorification of, of the purpose of life, um, which is often built around sacrifice. Which at its root, you know, both linguistically and I think um, even conceptually is about the sacred. So military and wars have been especially integral to how we, well, how we worship the nation, how we, how we turn sort of our patriotism into a form of religious nationalism. And, and there, you know, I won't obviously won't go into the details, but you've mentioned it, that war has been an fundamental aspect of American history and, and part of what that has generated is not just the sense of, you know, economic stability or, um, you know, other kinds of technological progress, but it's also generated religious bonds that are very important for national identity. Do you think, I'd ask you to kind of move into a place and maybe you're not comfortable there, but kind of evaluative or uh, people who are like in, for example, myself in the religion business or people who might be listening to this kind of thing, how they might approach this kind um this new development of, of popularized religion, because one could... Uh, 
is it possible to uh, think of this in a way in which we might challenge these energies toward uh, toward, toward a positive thing as opposed to say a, a violent thing? Right, or turn turn people who are different into evil or the you know the other that is some right. kind of threat. Um, and, uh, and that obviously you want to avoid. I think you also want to avoid what is fairly become a fairly kind of common conceptualization in my business, in religion business, which is to think of religion as a marketplace. Mm -hmm. And so it has to be driven by consumer logic and consumer strategies. And so how do we win back people? I don't, I don't think that's the way to go either. I'm, um, I, I, I get to, um, uh, corn myself off a bit in, in the safety of the ivory tower and say, well, I'm just a historian. Um, but, but I understand the question and I think it's very pertinent. Um, it, it really is. And you see it in seminaries and theology schools, um, and all kinds of uh, more conventionally religious institutions. What do we do with all this diversity? What do we do with this kind of fragmentation that's taking place? And, um, and, and there, you know, I, I mean, adaptation is is the name of the game um, and it's been that way historically that's nothing new but but i think it really is requires new ways of thinking um new ways of conceiving god new ways of conceiving you know worship and um and and then on the other side always being true to who you are and the value you know the values that that are represented by your your commitment so um, I, it's, I think it's a challenging time in this setting, but uh, I also think there's all kinds of possibilities for innovation and creativity that, that can really have an impact. We just have about uh, about a few seconds left, but uh, Gary Lauderman, my guest, um, author of Sacred Matters, tell me, uh, what, what do you hope uh, people will learn from your book, and your, and your, and including your recent articles on Huffington Post? Yeah, um, I'm... <laughs> I've been teaching for a long time. I've been uh, in this position at Emory for for about 20 years, really, from the time I got my PhD at uh, University of California, Santa Barbara. And it's been interesting that that you know with, when I started teaching, my my primary goal was to clarify and make things as clear as possible for students. And now that I'm a bit older. Um, and have done this for a while. I think I'm I'm really actually wanting to confuse people <laughs> and to um, you know kind of raise these kinds of ideas to challenge people's way of thinking about religion, and you know, and not to convert them to atheism or nihilism or what you know other these other maybe an even stronger faith that they already have. Um, but that the, the as you were saying, this, the lines between the sacred and profane are very blurry and can be very mixed and uh, aren't always all agreed upon. And, and so it's in that messiness um, and in that confusion that I want to try to um, bring some things to light and to get people to sort of think about religion in new ways. And I uh, recommend Sacred Matters, Celebrity Worship, Sexual Ecstasies, The Living Dead, and Other Signs of Religious Life in the United States. Uh, Gary Lauderman has been my guest on Religion for Life. Uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Lauderman, for being with me today and for your work. Uh, no problem. It's, it's been great. I appreciate your time. You've been listening to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. I'm John Sheck, the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. Our website is fpcelizabethton.org. 
You can find information about Religion for Life, including links to podcasts and information about upcoming shows at religionforlife.com. That's religionforlife.com. Also follow Religion for Life on Facebook, Twitter, and iTunes. Religion for Life is co-produced by WETS-FM and WETS-HD1 in Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC in Emory, Virginia. Be well.